0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. There's always a bit of danger in using a movie as a sermon illustration, because it's entirely possible that only a few people in the congregation may have seen it. Nevertheless, I think most of you are familiar enough with the plot concept that it's not a real huge risk. And even if you haven't seen this particular movie, you may have seen others based on the same theme or read the novel on which it was based. This morning, we're going to be contemplating the baptism of our Lord. And an important aspect of that event is that it continues the process of what's known as the great exchange. The great exchange is the removal of your sin and human frailty by Jesus and the bestowing of his righteousness and eternal life upon you. This began at Jesus conception and will continue throughout your life. Indeed, it will continue throughout all history until the final trumpet sounds and every believer receives resurrection and life everlasting. It began for the world at Jesus' conception, but it began for you at your baptism. In 1983, a movie came out called Trading Places. It was a comedy starring Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd, and Jamie Lee Curtis. Its plot was one of many adaptions over the years of Mark Twain's 1882 novel, The Prince and the Pauper. Twain's novel told the tale of two 16th-century boys who shared a striking resemblance but lived under very different circumstances. One lived in poverty and the other in royal luxury. In the movie Trading Places, two incredibly wealthy and well-bred brothers find themselves at opposite ends of an age-old argument. Does one's outlook and behavior in life come from one's heredity or from the environment in which that person has been raised. They decide that the best way to settle their argument is by having an experiment. They'll pick one highly pedigreed member of society and one who comes from the bottom end of the social order. The experiment seems easy enough to do. Do what they can to ruin the life of the successful one and radically improve the fortunes of the struggling one and see how each of them responds. Neither man who was the target of their experiment deserved what he got. The movie's very funny, at times uproariously so. Exchanging places is something about which many people have fantasies. Some of you probably do even. From recent news reports, it seems that many Americans would like to fantasize about exchanging places with celebrities, perhaps because they seem to have a very glamorous lifestyle. Others fantasize about being very wealthy and having the things that money can buy. But no one that I've ever known fantasizes about exchanging the good things in life for poverty and wants to live the life of a poor servant. But that's exactly what Jesus does in his earthly ministry. Today, we celebrate the baptism of our Lord, but it is one of the least understood events of Jesus ministry. Just what was it and what does it all mean? The word ministry really means service, but who is serving whom? It seems that a good, pe- a good many people fail to understand that the baptism of our Lord is the beginning of His official public ministry to the world. They don't comprehend that Jesus is submitting Himself to something that He really doesn't need. St. Matthew tells us, that John the Baptist even protested Jesus' desire to be baptized, knowing that the Lord was without sin and that he, John, was the one in need of the Lord's baptism. Earlier in this same chapter, Matthew tells us that John was in the wilderness, preaching repentance and prophesying the nearness of the kingdom of God. John went on to spell out the fruits of that repentance about how people needed to change their behavior based on repentance. Finally, Jesus comes along for baptism. And in spite of John's protest, Jesus was baptized along with all the sinners. By the way, all of the ancient works of art that portray the baptism of Jesus show Jesus and John standing in the Jordan with John pouring water over Jesus head. There is no historical evidence to suggest that Jesus or any other baptismal candidates were fully immersed in the water in spite of the usual meanings of this Greek word and the protests of some of our fellow Christians. But of course, it's not the mode of baptism that's important, nor is it the amount of water or even the source of the water. Only the command and the word of God matters. The larger question we may have here is this, why did John baptize Jesus, even though Jesus did not need to repent, even though Jesus had no sins? What it shows is this, that Jesus was now declaring himself to be in solidarity with all of us sinners, just as Jesus became a true man in his incarnation. So he now takes upon himself the sins of the world. Jesus becomes the greatest sinner in the world. It isn't because He had any sin of His own, but because He was fulfilling His God-given role as the Lamb of God. In St. John's Gospel account, we hear this clearly proclaimed as John the baptizer points to Jesus and says, not once, but twice, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. To understand this whole scene, We must know something of the Old Testament and the great day of atonement as recorded in Leviticus 16 on that day known as Yom Kippur, the high priest would offer a bull as a sacrifice for the sins of the priests, and then he would sacrifice a lamb for the sins of the people. The blood of the lamb was then sprinkled on the mercy seat in the tabernacle on behalf of the sins of the people. This lamb had died innocently, shedding its blood for the people. Then another animal was brought forward, and the priest laid his hands on its head, confessing over it all of the sins of the people. The sins of the people were in this way transferred to this animal. They were put on its head, as it were. This animal was known as the scapegoat. And you all know what that is, right? A scapegoat is an innocent person who gets blamed for the wrongs of another. Jesus was your scapegoat. The scapegoat was then sent out into the wilderness, carrying away the sins of the people. And out in that wilderness, wild animals would attack and kill the scapegoat, the sins dying with it. An exchange took place on Yom Kippur. The sins of the people were put on the lambs, and the innocence of the lambs was transferred to the people. All of this was prophetic of what Jesus would do in His ministry. Listen to a hymn describe it in a great Christmas hymn by Nicholas Herman. Let us all praise. T- let us all together praise our God. It goes like this: He undertakes a great exchange, puts on our human frame and in return gives us his realm, his glory, and his name. He is a servant, I a Lord, how great a mystery! How strong the tender Christ child's love, no truer friend than he. In another well-known hymn, O for a Thousand Tongues to Sing, it's described like this, See all your sins on Jesus laid, The Lamb of God was slain. His soul was once an offering made for every soul of man. Non-Christians, new Christians, and sometimes even veteran Christians often struggle with the idea of this great exchange. And yet, it is the very heart of the Christian faith, and it is the very heart of holy baptism. One historical description of the great exchange reads as follows. Then comes the Lamb of God, our high priest and advocate, with the blood that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. On behalf of the miserable, lost and condemned criminal, he urges his suffering and death in our place, his perfect merit and victory over all our enemies. What an advocacy. The poor sinner near to death embraces his feet in fullest trust and in full penitence and sorrow. Then comes a voice from the Holy of Holies. Tear down the indictment. The guilty man is acquitted for Jesus' sake from all guilt and punishment. He is justified. And without price, the righteousness of Christ is accounted His. Where does all this take place? God always acts concretely. He puts his forgiveness where sinners can find it, and he directs us to it. He directs us to holy baptism, first of all. Jesus was baptized into all of our wretchedness and unhappiness. Jesus takes on all our sin, guilt, and misery when he was baptized. Isaiah described it well in the prophetic book that bears his name. He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Such sweet words these should be in our sinners ears. Jesus entered into this great exchange where He took on everything that has made us miserable. He took it into His own body and He took it to the cross where He made an end of it all. Like all of those Old Testament lambs, Jesus died innocently in our place. He took on our sin, our death, and our punishment. And we have received His righteousness, His sinlessness, His life. The Apostle Paul puts it all into context of holy baptism in today's epistle lesson. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For every Christian The great exchange happens on the day of his or her baptism. It happens that way for every sinful child of man. The great exchange has been made for you. All of your sin, that which you inherited from your earthly parents, as well as any sins you added to it, were placed on Jesus. And Jesus gave you His righteousness, His holiness. The act is entirely His work. We do nothing but simply receive this marvelous gift. And holy baptism is pure gift. Jesus does everything. He willingly takes our place. He takes on our sin. He dies in our place. We are simply the recipients of His gracious work. There are those who view baptism as man's work, as man's decision, yet it never is. It is pure divine gift. An infant being baptized exemplifies this best because children can do nothing to receive the gift. No decision statement, no testimony of how they found the Lord, just pure reception. Christ seeks us out and calls us by name. How can you be sure that this is so? Don't look to your own feelings or emotions because they can often be faulty. Look only to the heavenly seal, to the word of the father himself. When the confirmation of Jesus ministry came with the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove, there was also the father's own voice. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. If the father is pleased with the son Jesus, then he is pleased also with you because you have been baptized into Christ's death and resurrection. God the Father approves this great exchange that His Son has made for you. God appeared at Jesus' baptism, and He appears at every proper Christian baptism. Listen to what Luther wrote of this. Indeed, if I had the matter under my control, I would not want God to speak to me from heaven or to appear to me. But this I would want, and my daily prayers are directed to this end that I might have the proper respect and true appreciation for the gift of baptism, that I have been baptized and that I see and hear brothers who have the grace and the gift of the Holy Spirit and are able to comfort and encourage with the word to admonish, warn, and teach. For what better and more profitable appearance of God do you want than this? And Luther again. Even though God does not appear to us in extraordinary form as he did to Abraham, yet his usual and most friendly and most intimate appearance is this, that he presents himself to us in his word, in the use of the keys, in baptism, and in the Lord's Supper. Here again, today, God speaks directly to us in word and in sacrament. Here, the great exchange takes place. Here, the great exchange continues for you in the hearing of God's Word and the re- in the receiving of Christ's body and blood. He is so rich in grace and in mercy that we simply cannot fathom it all. So today, the Church celebrates the baptism of our Lord because you hear once again the great good news that the great exchange begins. And it continues for you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.